right, uh, so last year, last year a movie came out called In the Heart of the Sea. And in this movie, it opens up with an author who shows up on the doorstep of a man named Thomas Nickerson. And he wants to write about Thomas Nickerson's story. 30 years prior to the start of the movie, Thomas Nickerson had been the cabin boy on the whaling ship Essex. And during that experience, uh, he and, and his, his crew were shipwrecked by an enraged albino sperm whale who rammed their ship and sunk it and stranded what sur- the survivors of the crew on life rafts or lifeboats in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And they were left there with limited supplies for 95 days. And it even got so bad, it got to the point where they had to draw straws to decide which of the crew members would be cannibalized so that the others might survive. So Thomas Nickerson, he survived this ordeal barely, and 30 years later, he has this author show up on his door, and he has very little desire to retell the story of what went on. This young author named Herman Melville thought that this would be a story that people would want to hear and ultimately convinces Thomas Nickerson to share his story and it became part of the influence of the book that he would write, Moby Dick. Thomas Nickerson had an incredible story. It had, it had some ups, it had some crazy downs, downs that he did not want to talk about at all, but his story had value. It had value to this author. It had value to, to countless school teachers for the last 150 years who wanted to make you read a boring book about a whale. The story had incredible value. Now, forgive me for making possibly a broad assumption, but I am assuming that no one in here has ever survived a whale attack. I'm also going to presume that no one here has been stranded at sea for an extended length of time. But every one of us has a story. Every one of us has a story worth telling. And for some of us, we, we've experienced incredible ups and, and, and incredible lows in our story. You would look at it, you would say, it looks like a roller coaster. If you were looking at my life, uh, some of you would say, my story is colorful. Some of you would say, I've got a, I don't have an exciting story. My story is about as bland as dry toast. There's not too much to it. Some of you are coming off of incredible chapters in your story, just incredible times of your life, and others of you are coming off of chapters that you would not want to relive, you would not want to tell anyone about. Some of you are in a season of, we're newly married and we're excited. Some of you are coming off of chapters of recent divorce. Some of you are, are coming off of, off of chapters that saw you get promoted in your job. You're, you're in your dream job. And others of you are just laid off. Some of you are, are coming off of, off of chapters where you're experiencing the, the birth of a new baby, a new member in the family, and others of you are experiencing the loss of a loved one. We all have a story. Some of us eager to tell the stories that we have. Some of us maybe having no desire to do so whatsoever. But all of us have a story that's important. They mold us. They shape us. They make us who we are. And as we gather as a church together on Sundays, many of us in this room are united by one incredibly important part of our story, redemption. 
Many of us in this room have a redemption story because, and if you're new to this Christianity thing, if you're just kind of starting to, to follow for the first time, or if you if you're, uh, haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, one of the important things you need to know about us is this. We believe that this incredibly important thing happened where we were on a road, we were on a path that was leading toward death. And then we met Jesus. And because of that, we are now on a road that leads to life. We believe that we were going away from our creator, away from our God, and that because of Jesus dying on a cross for our sins, we are now going to get to spend eternity with him. We have these incredible stories of redemption. You see, no Christian can say that they have a boring story. We might feel like our story isn't that exciting. We might say, well, you know, some people have been saved from drug addiction, praise God. Some people have been pulled out of abuse, praise God. Well, my story, you know, it's, it's just sort of mundane. Maybe I was saved from a little bit of meaninglessness. Maybe I was saved from a little bit of purposelessness. As a follower of Jesus, you were brought from death to life. And that is a compelling story. Now, I say all of that as introduction to tell you this, to tell you the big thing that I want you to walk away with today, and that's that your story has purpose. Specifically, your story is meant to advance the good news of Jesus. That's it. That's my big takeaway for today. And I didn't even make you promise not to check out on me, so don't check out on me. <laughs> I'm not doing some big setup. I don't want to hide from you where we're going. This is it, that your story is meant to advance the good news of Jesus. The purpose for all of us is to see our story as one that was brought from death to life because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And our purpose is so that other people would know that, that other people, because of what Jesus has done in our own lives, might experience a redemption story too. We tend to think of our stories for ourselves. We, we think of our stories in terms of ourselves. Whenever I think about my story, particularly as it relates to my faith journey, I think about my story as it's for me. You know, whenever I can think back about how faithful God has been to me or how good God has been to me, you know, that's, that's for myself. That's, that's so that I can, you know, whenever I'm going through a rough patch, I can stay strong in my faith. Whenever I'm, you know, it, it helps keep me on the straight and narrow. That's the purpose of my story. Very rarely do we think of our stories in terms of other people. But I want us to see this morning that it is incredibly important that that's exactly what we do. That we think of our story not just in terms of ourselves and what it can do for us, but that we think of our story as having the purpose of helping other people to follow Jesus. That our story has the purpose of how God might use it in somebody else's life. To see that it is meant to advance the good news of Jesus. So last week, we started the series in the book of Philippians, and we subtitled the series, Becoming Like Christ, which honestly, that's just cheating, because every series that we do every single week is, is a series on becoming like Christ. Like, spoiler alert. That's what we want our whole lives to be about. We want to gather together to worship God and to encourage each other to become like Christ in everything that we do. 
But a lot of times whenever we think about becoming like Christ, we, we think about it in the terms of, I need to read my Bible more. You know, I need to spend more time in God's word. Or I need to, I need to, excuse me, uh, I, I need to go and, and I need to stop sinning. You know, there, I've got some area of disobedience in my life. I need, to, I need to get rid of that. I need to get that out. I need to go to church a little bit more. I need to love people better. Whatever it may be, we think of those things about of becoming like Christ. And yes, absolutely, all of those things are involved in becoming like Christ. But there's, there's something that, that might be at the very top of the, of the list of things that we could do to become more like Christ. And somehow it finds its way down here and a lot of our priorities, like a lot of our becoming like Christ checklists, it's really low. When Jesus was here on earth, probably the most important thing that he did, aside from dying on the cross for our sins, that was the most important thing he did. But maybe the next most important thing that Jesus did while he was here was to make disciples. His key message was, follow me. Come, let me teach you. Let me pour into your life so that you can then turn around and take what I've taught you and teach it to others and pour into other people's lives. His last great command for us before he left was to make disciples. And so for us, you and I, we cannot die for anybody else's sins. So maybe the most Christ-like thing we could do is to share the good news of Jesus. Sharing the good news of Jesus is at the foundation of becoming like Christ. So Matt, he introed the, the Philippian church. He talked about why the, this church was so near and dear to Paul's heart. Paul, who, who, as we read in scripture, God used to spread the message of Jesus just all over the world and and, and Paul, he had this, this God-ordained encounter with a woman named Lydia. We, we heard about this last week, that he had this interaction that, that God set up. And, and through that interaction, Lydia became a follower of Jesus. And then this, the, a whole group of people did. And this church started here in the city of Philippi. And, and so we see that, that Paul had that. And so we asked you all last week, Rhett talked about this. We asked you all to, to write down names. We gave you a card and write down names of people that you want to have a God-ordained interaction with. Write down names of people that you want to, to see know Jesus, people that you want to be able to share Jesus with and to pray over those people intentionally. If you haven't gotten a chance to do that, I would encourage you to do that so much. Go to the Next Steps kiosk that we have out in the lobby. Get on our, our church app. Get on the website. Go to the My Journey section. You can find that card and begin praying over those people. And as Matt told you, if you, maybe if you missed last week or don't remember, we're going to try and take this a step further every week that we go in the series as we try to get more intentional about having conversations with people about Jesus. So Paul, he had this God-ordained encounter. We're going to see as we dive into the first chapter of Philippians today just, just why it was that this church became so dear to him, why he loved this church as much as he did, why they were such incredible partners for him. So you got a Bible, open up to the book of Philippians. You can open up to Philippians 1. We're going to start in verse 3. While you're getting there, let me give you just a little bit of setup. Paul, he's writing this book from a Roman prison. Like not in a very good situation, but that was the cost of spreading the message of Jesus. 
And he's writing this book. It's been more than a decade since what we read in Acts 16 last week. He's, he's had relationships with the people in this church for the last 10, 11, 12 years at the time he's writing this letter. So he's writing it to dear friends, dear partners in the ministry, and he's not in a good situation. But, but he's there, and, and he, he's been spreading the message of Jesus. And as we read in Philippians, we, get, we see just a snapshot of a church that was incredible, and there's a lot that we as a church can learn from this incredible church in Philippi. So here we go. Philippians 1, starting in verse 3. This is Paul writing. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. Paul loved this church. He loved them. And you guys, we got to see why here. You got to see this. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. The reason that Paul is so grateful for this church is that they have partnered with him in spreading the message of Jesus from the very beginning. From the first time they heard it, they started sharing it, and they haven't stopped since. And Paul looks at that, and he says, I see you, church in Philippians, and because of the way that you have been, the way that from the beginning you have been spreading the message, because I know how you are obeying God, and because I know how faithful our God is, I know that you are going to continue becoming more and more like Christ until Jesus comes back. This is an incredible church that they would start this from the very get-go. Now, I know... A lot of us. A lot of us would say that, yes, we see the spread of Christianity, the spread of Jesus, more people knowing about Jesus, we see that as something important, like intellectually. Like, yes, I agree that it is important that more people know about Jesus. But it kind of lives up here in our heads, sort of like if somebody were to tell you that, you know what, it would actually be healthier for you if you drank more water in the morning and less coffee. It's like, well, yes, I know that, like I understand that. And you know what? I would love to drink more water in the morning. If you could just do me a favor and filter it through some coffee beans first, that'd be great. <laughs> We've got it up here in our heads, but how many of us could say that from the moment we first became followers of Jesus, that this priority, more people knowing about Jesus, was at the forefront of our lives? This is why we're taking time in this series. This is why we're taking time in this journey that we are on to stop and to get intentional about it. We don't want to just know it in our heads. This is why we're asking everyone to pray over specific people. Who could you actually share Jesus with? This is why we're having that comedy show at the end of October. It's not just for Kingsway people to come and have a good laugh. It is for us to outreach, bring people in here who would never darken the doors of a church otherwise. This, this is why we're going to take the next step that I'm going to talk to you about here in a little bit. We want to become more like Christ. And the most Christ-like thing that we could do is to spread the message of Jesus. But there are some objections to spreading the message of Jesus. Again, not in our heads. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you pretty much understand that, yes, more people knowing about Jesus is a good thing. I want that to happen. But we have these objections when it comes to doing it practically. 
And the reason I know that we have objections when it comes to doing this practically is because they're my objections. They're the same things that I say whenever God puts it on my heart that you should talk to your next door neighbors. Those are the people that I wrote down on my card. You should talk to your neighbors and have deeper, more intentional conversations with them about Jesus. And then these objections start coming up. Like, yeah, I know that that would be great if they knew Jesus, but... And there are a couple of them. We're going to talk about two today because really these two objections kind of lump all of the objections together. I'm sure they're outliers, but for the most part, these cover pretty much all of them. And the first one is this. It's that I would love to share the message of Jesus, but I'm not equipped. I, I don't know how. I just don't know how to do this. I, I, I wouldn't know how to start the conversation. What if they asked me something and I didn't know the answer? I, I, I'm, not, I'm just not equipped for spreading the message of Jesus. And if you take away anything from this morning, anything at all, my dear friends, yes, we are. Yes, we are. This thing is about to come around full circle from the beginning, and you're going to say, how did he do that? And it's going to shock you. It's not really, but this is a God thing. This is cool. Just You are equipped to spread the good news of Jesus because of your story. Remember that story? Remember the story from the beginning, that, the, the story of redemption, and that the purpose of your story is to advance the message of Jesus? We've all been given a story. We've all been given a story that once read death and now reads life, and it is with this story that all of us are equipped to go and spread the good news of Jesus. That's why the Philippians church was able to do it. They hadn't sat in church for 30 years trying to get all, of the, get all the answers right. Like the Philippians church, they, they didn't have every answer that they could have told to all of their friends on day one when they started spreading the gospel. They didn't even have the New Testament. Like it was being written right here to them. Like they didn't even have that to go off of as they were starting to spread their faith. But what they had was their story. They had the fact that they had been here in whatever this situation was, whatever their old priorities were, whatever their hardships, their struggles were, whatever it was, they had been here and then someone had introduced them to Jesus Christ. And because of what he did, now they have new hope. Now they have new life. Now they have hope for eternity. Their whole life has changed because of it. They had a redemption story that they couldn't help but tell. They saw it as a a top priority to spread their faith. And so they knew that they could give people who were where they were, who were in need of mercy, in need of grace, in need of unconditional love, where so many of us were before Jesus. And that because of what Jesus did, now they were here. They had their story. None of us can say that we aren't equipped. We are all equipped with our story, but what a lot of us could say is, I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared to tell that story of redemption that God has given me. And so that's the next step that we want to take together as a church. As, we are, as we're taking our next step forward, we want everybody to be able to be prepared to share your faith story. 
So here's what we have. We have we, we've put this on, on the church app. If you want to pull out your phone right now and pull up our church app or pull up the church website, you're welcome to do that. I will not be offended, I promise. If you're like not particularly electronic, we will have some of these guides out at the Next Steps kiosk. But I, let me encourage you to go electronic on this one because you can keep it with you. You can have it with you all the time. If you go there, if you open up the app or if you open up the church website, you go to the banner that says My Journey. You scroll down, it says my steps. And the first one is the prayer card. And the next one is this. It's a guide to help you share your faith story. And it's very simple because this doesn't have to be complicated. And this guide, it's just got some questions to walk through to help you get your mind shaped around, okay, how would I talk to somebody about how I became a follower of Jesus? It's got some questions for you to ask. And, and we don't want you to just look at this and, and say, yeah, okay, I, I could probably think through that. We don't want you to think through it at all. We want you to actually write this down. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you call Kingsway your church home, every one of you, we want to see, write down the answers to these questions so that you feel prepared to share your story. The questions real quick are this. The, the first one is, what was my life like before Jesus? So, so who, who was I? What were, my, what were my priorities? What did I have going on in my life before I met Jesus? Second question is this. How did I discover that I needed Jesus? Who spoke into your life? Who was involved in you making that decision? Who, what was going on? What circumstances led you to start thinking that way? Third question. How did I commit my life to Jesus? Talk about that moment. Talk about that moment that you said, yes, this is it, this is real. The moment you pushed all of your chips onto the table and said, I want to follow Jesus with the rest of my life. And the fourth question, what difference has it made in my life? How is my life different? How do I look different? How am I changed because of what Jesus did? So Kingsway, I'm saying it again. We are asking every person who is a follower of Jesus, who calls this their church home, to do this this week. Be intentional. Write this down so that you not just know that you are equipped with your story, but so that you are prepared to share it. All right, real quick, uh, answering a couple other things in the objection of I don't feel equipped or I don't know enough. I just want to give a couple of other you know, helpful tips beyond the fact that you are equipped with your story. First one is this, is that you are equipped with the person or the people who helped you become a follower of Jesus. Someone at some point in your life helped you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and you have those people to go back to. Or if, maybe if you don't because of, of time or distance between you or because God has called them home, you still have what they did for you. You can look back and say, I was at this point in my life. I was, I was hurting. I was in need of unconditional love. I was going through some storm in my life. And someone or someones came in and spoke Jesus into my life. How can I do that for someone else? How can I be that for someone else and be that in their life? We are all equipped with how we were led to Jesus. And I would be a horrible student minister if I didn't just point this out. A lot of you were probably led to follow Jesus whenever you were kids, or maybe whenever you were, were students, whenever you were youth age. If there was someone who, who spoke into your life because of a kid's ministry or, or, or a student ministry or a youth group or something like that, that might be God telling you, you need to go get involved with a kid that age. 
Like if you were a fifth grader, whenever you came to know Jesus, it's like you, God might be saying, you have something to say to them, even though you think you don't. Because we're all punk kids, and we needed somebody to come and love us and show us Jesus. All right, that's one. Next, you are equipped by what we do here each week. The reason we gather together as a church is to worship God and to be encouraged and to be trained up in going and telling other people about him. I'm going to ask you a question that whenever somebody asked it of me, it punched me right in the nose, so I apologize ahead of time. If you knew that you were going to have to take this message that I'm speaking to you right now or any of the messages that you hear on a Sunday morning, if you knew you were going to have to take those and reteach them tomorrow morning to someone else, would you be listening differently? We all would. We'd be taking notes differently. We'd be engaging in what we were hearing differently. We, we, we would say, I, I've got to be prepared to give this to someone else, and we need to start seeing it that way. We are equipped with what we do here together every week to become more like Christ and to help other people become more like Christ. All right, last one is this, that we are equipped with our fellow believers we have a room full of people here who want to be on mission, who want to be spreading the message of Jesus, spreading the good news of Jesus. We have a whole room full that wants to do that. But if the only time you're ever in a room with other believers is when you're sitting here on Sunday mornings, you're missing something huge. We need deeper community. We need to be connecting with other believers more frequently and more intimately than that. And so if you need help being a part of a group, if you need help getting to be a part of a Bible study, some group that helps encourage you and push you and move you forward to spreading the good news of Jesus, let us help you find community. Go to that Next Steps kiosk. Tell them, I need that community in my life. I don't have anything deeper than what happens on Sunday morning. I need that. And we will get your info. We will help get you connected. All right, I said a lot for just that first objection, uh, and so I'm going to recap here real quick. I, I want us to stop saying that we're not equipped or that we don't know enough to tell people about Jesus because we've got our story. We are equipped with our story. We are equipped with the way that someone else led us to follow Jesus. We are equipped with, with the, you may, I made myself forget all of my points, too many points. All right, we're, we're equipped with our story. We're equipped with how other people led us to faith. We're equipped with what we do here together on Sunday mornings. We're equipped with, or we can be equipped with our fellow believers who around us want to help us follow Jesus more closely. We are equipped, church. We just need to go do it. All right, that's the first big objection. Second big objection, I'm not going to, I promise I won't talk as long, but it, again, it lumps a bunch of objections together. We say things like, what if I, what if they don't like what I say? Like, what if I have that conversation and they reject it or they reject me? What, what if it makes things really awkward in our relationship after, after I try to talk to them about Jesus? What if, what if I face repercussions at work or at school? Like, what if I get in trouble in my job? What if God, I start telling people my story and, and God takes it and he just flips my life completely upside down? Long and the short of it, I'm worried about sharing my faith because I'm uncertain of the outcome. I don't want to go spread the message of Jesus because I don't know what will happen if I do. Now, ultimately, this is going to come back to our story, too. 
It's going to come back to the story that God wants to tell in each and every one of our lives. But unfortunately here, our calling to become more like Christ sometimes gets tangled up, sometimes gets twisted up with this other calling that we have. Our culture's calling to pursue an American dream. You see, in a lot of our lives, unfortunately, if, if our, our calling to, to become more like Christ and the, and the calling to pursue the American dream, if they were like in a UFC battle for dominance in our lives, for too many, the American dream has the call of Christ in a headlock and it's just like choking it. It's, we have this, you ask any number of people what their dream life is and they'll tell you any number of different things. But in our culture, we find across the board that everyone is seeking out safety and security. Everybody's seeking out comfort and pleasure. All of us are going after this life that is ultimately a problem-free, feel-good life. And it sounds pretty nice. Nice house. Nice car. Nice job. Retiring from that nice job, nice vacations, nice kids who make nice all-star teams and nice honor rolls. It sounds nice. Dare I say that some of us would look at somebody who had that life and we would say, man, God is smiling on them. They have some special favor from God to have a life like that. We got to admit it. I got to admit it. Because what's the old saying? The first step to getting better is admitting you have a problem. See, that story, pursuing the problem-free, feel-good life, it's not a story that advances the good news of Jesus. Having a story that pursues those things, it's not a story that is about becoming more like Christ. And if that's the story that you're chasing, a story that doesn't look any different from any of your neighbors, from any of the people in your apartment complex, if that's the story you're chasing, you may want to plug your ears for the next thing that Paul is about to say to the church in Philippi. Verse 7. So it is right that I should feel about all of you for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. Now you can read this a couple of different ways and neither of them is good for the old American dream. See, Paul here, he ties very closely the special favor of God. This is another way of saying God's grace in his life. He ties it very closely to his imprisonment and to defending, confirming, to spreading the good news of Jesus. So one way that you can look at this is that God, excuse me, that Paul is saying that the way to receive the special favor from God isn't chasing after the nice houses and the high achievements. It's to, it's to be willing to suffer. It's to be willing to go through something rough. It's to be willing to be uncertain about the outcome. 
And if you're pursuing that, then you will receive the special favor from God. Then God will, will be smiling on you if you're willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. The answer to this objection then about being uncertain of the outcome is it doesn't matter what the outcome is. Because the best thing that could happen is that somebody is going to know more about Jesus. And the worst thing that could happen if you were to suffer for Christ, well, that's not a bad thing either because then you will have the special favor of God if you're willing to suffer for that. Might it cost you something of your American dream? Yeah. But the two were never compatible anyway. That's the easy way to read the passage. God has been working on my heart. He's been convicting me that Paul may have met something even tougher than that. Whenever he wrote this, whenever he wrote, you share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment, defending and confirming the truth of the good news. It's not just that Paul would receive the special favor of God because he was in prison that Paul was receiving the special favor of God in that he was in prison. The special favor of God wasn't that he had nice things, wasn't that he was pursuing a nice life. God's special favor for him was that he would suffer so that more people could know about Jesus, so that he could spread the good news of Jesus. He said, I would rather be going through something awful, something huge, if I could have a huge impact for the kingdom. We're gonna get into this more next week, but verse 12, Paul says that everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. We see it as an awful thing, what was happening to Paul. It's awful that he was in prison, and Paul looked at it as a gift. It was a blessing from God that he could suffer so that the gospel, so that the good news of Jesus could advance through his story. We don't face persecution in the church in the United States like our brothers and sisters do overseas. We face persecution. I'm not going to pretend that we don't, but we do not face it to the level. We worry about things like making a relationship awkward. We worry about things about, you know, facing repercussions at work. We've got brothers and sisters in the persecuted church who worry about imprisonment, who worry about family betrayal, who worry about death. And they consider it a blessing. They consider themselves blessed that God would choose them to suffer for Christ's name's sake. We sit here, I sit here, chasing after my problem-free, feel-good life that doesn't advance the good news of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we do ourselves a huge disservice when we try to avoid suffering, when we try to avoid hardship in our lives. Because suffering, because hardship, because uncertainty of the outcome is going to bring us God's favor. God is going to have grace on our lives because we're willing to go through that. Because sometimes even going through those things is the special favor of God that we might see more people come to know him. And sometimes, you know what, he uses a nice house. And sometimes he uses a kid on the all-star team. And sometimes he uses a stint of unemployment. 
Sometimes he uses a family tragedy. But our purpose as followers of Jesus isn't to be pursuing any of those things, the good or the bad. Our pursuit is to become more like Christ, to see how God can use our story to advance his good news. And then whatever good or whatever bad may come, we know that God will use it. As we move into a time of communion this morning, this is a time, this, it's an ordinance that Jesus gave us. It's a sacrament that Jesus gave us. This is a time he said, I want you to take a piece of bread and I want you to remember that I brought you from death to life. I want you to take a cup of juice and think of my blood that was shed so that your story could change forever. And as we stop and as we take this time together, here's what I want us to do. I want us to focus on the cross. I, was, I want us to think about what Jesus did for us. I want us to introspect. I want us to reflect. I want us to ask God, how does my life look different? How is my story advancing the good news because of what you did for me on that cross? If you're someone who is, is just figuring this out, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're, just, you're, you're exploring it, trying to figure out more of what God is, what, it, what he means. If that's you, I, I pray that you would take this time and reflect. I pray that you would take this time and that you would just ask, do I need a story that could use some redemption? Do I have a story that could use some unconditional love, some mercy and grace infused in it in a big way? If that's you, if you need somebody to talk to about that, we're going to have some people down here under the screen who would love to have a conversation with you about what it means for you to have a greater story, a story that has been impacted forever by Jesus Christ.